Hi everyone, welcome back to Finding the Fantastic. This is our special November episode uh, celebrating and honoring Native American Heritage Month and we have a special guest, Jen McClung. Hello. Hi. Um, so she is going to tell us the Sky Woman Falling story from the Potawatomi tribe and we're going to talk about it a little bit. So we hope you enjoy this special episode. All right, so this is the story of Sky Woman Falling, uh, and this is uh, the version by Robin Wall Kimmerer, and she has adapted it from the oral tradition uh, and Shenandoah and George in 1988. So those are our oral footnotes. So the story goes, she fell like a maple seed, pirouetting on an autumn breeze. A column of light streamed from a hole in the sky world marking her path where only darkness had been before. It took her a long time to fall. In fear, or maybe hope, she clutched a bundle tightly in her hand. Hurtling downwards, she saw only dark water below. But in that emptiness, there were many eyes gazing up at the sudden shaft of light. They saw there a small object, a mere dust mote in the beam. As it grew closer, they could see that it was a woman, arms outstretched, long black hair billowing behind as she spiraled towards them. The geese nodded at one another and rose together from the water in a wave of goose, goose music. She felt the beat of their wings as they flew beneath to break her fall. Far from the only home she'd ever known, she caught her breath at the warm embrace of soft feathers as they gently carried her downward. And so it began. The geese could not hold the woman above the water for much longer so they called a council to decide what to do. Resting on their wings, she saw them all gather. Loons, otters, swans, beavers, fish of all kinds. A great turtle floated in their midst and offered his back for her to rest upon. Gratefully, she stepped from the goose wings onto the dome of his shell. The others understood that she needed land for her home and discussed how they might serve her need. The deep divers among them heard of mud at the bottom of the water and agreed to go find some. Moon dove first, but this distance was too far, and after a long while he surfaced with nothing to show for his efforts. One by one, the other animals offered to help. Otter, beaver, sturgeon, but the depth, the darkness, and the pressures were too great for even the strongest of swimmers. They returned gasping for air with their heads ringing. Some did not return at all. Soon, only a little muskrat was left, the weakest diver of all. He volunteered to go while the others looked on doubtfully. His small legs flailed as he worked his way downward, and he was gone a very long time. They waited and waited for him to return, fearing the worst for their relative, and before long a stream of bubbles rose with the small, limp body of the muskrat. He had given his life to aid this helpless human, then the others noticed that his paw was tightly clenched, and when they opened it, there was a small handful of mud. The turtle said, here, put it on my back, and I will hold it. Sky Woman bent and spread the mud with her hands across the shell of the turtle. Moved by the extraordinary gifts of the animals, she sang in thanksgiving and then began to dance, her feet caressing the earth. 
The land grew and grew as she danced her thanks from the dab of mud on Turtle's back until the whole earth was made. Not by Sky Woman alone, but from the alchemy of all the animals' gifts coupled with her deep gratitude. Together, they formed what we know today as Turtle Island, our home. Like any good guest, Sky Woman had not come empty-handed. The bundle was still clutched in her hand. When she toppled from the hole in the sky world, she had reached out to grab onto the tree of life that grew there. In her grasp were branches, fruits, and seeds of all kinds of plants. Then she scattered onto the new ground. These she scattered onto the new ground and carefully tended each one, until the world turned from brown to green. Sunlight streamed through the hole from the sky world, allowing the seeds to flourish. Wild grasses, flowers, trees, and medicine spread everywhere. And now that the animals too had plenty to eat, many came to live with her. Welcome back. So, thank you, Jen. That was great. It was beautiful. Thank yes. you. Yes. Thank you for having me. I'm so honored to be on your, your show. Yeah. We feel we feel like a little bit like we've we've made it now that we're having guests because you're our first guest. So I like, am. Yeah, yes, you oh, are. So wow, we're actually honored. <laughs> we're big kids now, and it's great. <laughs> yeah. Um, so <clears throat> we're going to talk about. Um, just a few things. Well, it's more than a few. It's a lot of things. There are, we all have a lot of feelings. This was a really great story. Um, but I guess, first of all, um, we've talked about creation stories on the show before, um, and we'll probably get off into the weeds a little bit in this episode, so uh, listeners just realize that this is probably going to be a longer episode, just so you know. Um, so let's start with, uh, Imelda, you had some ideas about uh, parallels and the concept of dark to light. Well, when we think of creation stories, usually it starts out with nothing, right? There's just nothing, and suddenly something happens. And what I really appreciate about this story is something happens in a way that is almost unexpected. It's not this whole entire light that comes this shaft of light from this hole in the sky. And it's centered on this woman falling as if everything kind of encompasses her whereas just taking over this darkness mm-hmm. light. So there's still darkness to be, uh, to be understood mm. almost. And I really enjoyed that, uh, especially after that first line, which just got me so emotional. <laughs> I, that is absolutely beautiful. And I had to stop for five minutes just to be with myself in that line because it was just so Process a little bit. Oh just so beautiful. Can and you get a reading of it again? I was gonna say yeah, 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 yeah. she fell like a maple seed, pirouetting on an autumn breeze. So it's worth notice it's worth noting that um, Robin uh, Walker <coughs> this this story comes from her book Braiding Sweetgrass and her writing and just her voice is is so poetic. She's she's a scientist, mm. um, but she's, she's a, a poet as well. <laughs> Not that you can't be, right? You know, right. Both, yeah, but, but yeah. you wouldn't expect uh, normally to to run into someone from the sciences who has such beautiful narrative and poetic language. But mm. 
just the beauty of finding your voice for whatever field you're in. It's, it's the story and how we communicate it takes practice and it is an art mm-hmm. and to utilize that for a greater good is absolutely powerful. So yes, that, those were my thoughts on the dark to light creation parallels. Um, especially the part where you said that there's still room for darkness to be explored and sort of, we were talking earlier about the idea of creation stories as originations for how we view the world, so our worldview. Um, So in this story, it's not a colonization or a conquering of all darkness, which Mm -hmm. I think is very important that that has room to be that we're curious about it still. Mm-hmm. There's a there's a collaboration, and yeah. that's a theme yeah. that you find in a lot of indigenous stories is that of collaboration. Um, there isn't uh, there there are, there is a greater creator, but the creator doesn't create everything mm-hmm. by mm-hmm. by itself because um, the creator usually doesn't have a gender. This <laughs> <laughs> is a source of, I guess, I don't know. There's stuff, it's stuff, but also like this. Almost like a being without without um, any kind of tangible yeah. awareness, and, which is okay. Yeah, and and it, again, it differs from from tribe right, to tribe, right. but in so many indigenous stories, not just creation stories, but in other stories, um, there's collaboration between the humans and the animals in the creation of the world, um, and that, that sets up a really different power dynamic mm-hmm. uh, for how. We are to be in the world as humans, and how are, how we are to treat um, our animal relatives, mm-hmm. and yes. and that's uh, in in many indigenous uh, nations they have the saying "all my relations," mm-hmm. which is the idea that everything is a relative, everything is related, um, human and non-human, and and I like to think about how that idea fundamentally changes our relationship with the entire world. Mm-hmm. If, if you understood that, let's say, the, uh, the water was your, the oceans were your auntie or your <laughs> grandmother, mm-hmm. right, um, would you be dumping toxic waste into your grandmother or into your auntie? <laughs> like, no, you, you wouldn't. So, so this fundamental idea that, that we are relatives with the non-human world, and that we are collaborators, and we have to share this space, um, and that we, in many creation stories, uh, indigenous creation stories, humans were created last. I mean, I guess, I guess that's the way it is in Genesis too. But we were created last, and it's understood that we were the dumbest. <laughs> and so, yeah. and so we These were. These ones need help. <laughs> so uh, we were supposed to learn from the animals. And we were supposed, they, they had the knowledge, they had the wisdom, and we as human beings needed to acknowledge and respect that. And uh, there's a lot of, in a lot of indigenous stories, um, the world goes wrong, things go wrong in the world when people stop remembering that. Mm-hmm. They stop remembering that we are relatives with the animals and with the non-human world <laughs> and that we are supposed to be learning from them. Mm-hmm. When we forget that relationship, things get unbalanced. Right. And I love when um, when the lions was like they, they cooperated with alchemy and deep gratitude. Mm-hmm. 
So I just had a question about using the word alchemy. So when we think of alchemy, what do we usually think of? Like turning stuff into gold. Right, and almost the magic quality. So I I guess I had a question of um, what does that mean in the sense of this story? Because I think it's a very powerful term, especially coupling that with deep gratitude. You don't really see alchemy and gratitude Mm -hmm. in the same sentence. And one, that's a very uh, powerful uh, statement in itself. But I'd like to hear your thoughts on what, it's just this one word, yeah. or this choice of this word in relationship with cooperation and deep gratitude. It's a good choice. I mean, the, the, the word alchemy uh, is uh, sort of represents the bringing together of different elements and yes. transforming them into, yes. into something else that wasn't there before, right? <laughs> right, right. Um, and so that's exactly what's happening. She and the animals are working together in sort of this harmony in this relationship um, and combined uh, with her, with Sky Woman's gratitude for what the animals are doing for her. Uh, you know, they, they recognize that, that this woman can't live in the water like we can. <laughs> she, she needs she water. Needs some yeah. land. <laughs> this is not going to survive on, on just water. We, we need some land here. Um, and so they go about tending to her needs. Mm-hmm. You know, that was one of the first things that they do. And so Sky Woman recognizes that and has a deep gratitude for um, the animals for providing for her. Right? Mm-hmm. Again, that mm-hmm. if you if you fundamentally grow up with this story as your your creation narrative, that changes your perspective animals and your relationship with them but Mm -hmm. I think use the word magic and I think that's that's actually a really nice way to describe what happens when you bring that deep gratitude and the relationship of cooperation together uh, and there there is a a magic um, a magical quality and I mean magic in the best of ways here. <laughs> good magic. Uh, it's very good. Good things come out of that. Good life comes out of that. Good relationships come out of that. Beautiful. Thank you. <laughs> that actually segues really well into um, something a bunch of us wanted to talk about: the idea of teamwork and these animals being willing to help. But briefly, I w- did want to mention that one of the things you brought up in terms of uh, the word relations, um, and I think this is a good time to point out that reading these stories is different than hearing these stories. These stories are from oral traditions, and the reason I point that out is because I completely, like, I read it, but I didn't hear that word in the same way that I heard it when you were telling it, and so I think it's important <clears throat> to actually hear these stories spoken mm-hmm. aloud, mm-hmm. Um, and there's a lot of uh, extra meaning that we can gather from hearing them told rather than kind of reading and doing the meaning making ourselves. Um, one of the one yeah. of my favorite things about the oral tradition is that <coughs> Excuse me. it requires you to be a much more active participant. Yes, in the story, um, you have to bring to the story your imagination. And your history and your background and your ideas and you have to fill in you know fill in the world that's between the words 
Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, so its audience contributes to the meaning making. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. It's yeah. not one sided. Right. right. For sure. And all good storytellers know that. Telling a story, it changes. You can tell the same story a thousand times, but it changes depending on who your audience is mm -hmm. and yeah. Yeah. <laughs> how they're responding. Um, that's that's the oral tradition right there. Is, is Love it. <laughs> relationship, again, back to relationships, relationship making with your audience. Well, and I think going back to your point of, of having to be an active participant in it, one of the things that I think we... No one wants to admit that they do this, but we skim. <laughs> we do, even if it is something that we absolutely love to read, um, you know, or, or a story that maybe we've never read before, but we're really into. We skim. We do, and I think that part of making us active participants in in it while we're listening is that there's no way to skim. You have to be present you can ignore half of the story sure but like in order to get the full effect you have to be present and you have to be aware and paying mm -hmm. attention mm -hmm. um and i think that's part of why you get different things um and obviously like different different tellings put different emphasis on different things and so you know you can listen to a story a million times and and come away feeling differently and i think that's another and, great part of and it. And also with the oral tradition, these these stories are meant to be told a million times. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and you're exactly. Me you're meant to hear them a million times with the understanding that at e each time you hear it, maybe the first time you hear it, you're two, and the next time you hear it, you're three. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you, as, you, as you grow up, there's layers here. Mm -hmm. you know, and you, you dig into those different layers, as you grow, you grow with the story and you see different things. It's kind of like watching um, any of Pixar's movies. You know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like, I, I, I see my, my seven-year-old son watching them and he's, you know, he's like, oh, this is so cool. Or the Lorax comes to mind. Oh, yeah. You know, on the surface, it's this, like, cute movie with these fuzzy creatures, right? Right. And my kid loves it. But as an adult... Oh, oh, environmental yeah, yeah. justice. Yeah. Holy cow! Yes. <laughs> right. Like Wally is a good example of that too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's actually a really great, uh, great example because the Lorax was actually a part of our elementary school curriculum every single year. Um, I grew up on, on really? military bases, and that was one of their things. Was in the spring every year, we had to read the Lorax, and each like grade level, we would do a different project based on it and based on like environmental. Health and sustainability. It was so good. The nineties were great. Um, <laughs> I know. But uh, but yeah, and so but but it's so true because you know when you're a kid reading it and you know you're putting together your cute little pom pom truffula trees and that sort of thing, <laughs> versus by the time you get to middle school and you are ready to pick it outside of your state department because you're like this is wrong, um, with all of your you know middle school angst. And you're writing your congress, your yeah. congress people in purple crayon still because or glitter pen because you're you're told year old girl but um yeah but it, it it's exactly that idea of you grow with these stories and your mm -hmm. understanding and and kind of positionality changes as you grow and learn more based on what the story is telling you and one of the things that um the great Anishinaabe scholar Leanne Simpson talks a lot about is that with the oral tradition uh, it's understood that the listener is intelligent. The mm -hmm. listener is going to 
is trusted mm -hmm. to be in charge of their own learning mm -hmm. and that they're going to take away from it what they need. They, things don't need to be over-explained. You just hear the story and you hear it again and again. And, and you're trusted as a listener, as, as an individual to be responsible for learning what you need to learn from that story at whatever stage you're at. Mm -hmm. um, there's an inherent intelligence in our children in our in anyone who's listening to those stories mm -hmm. and I love that idea that's great so then let's transition to talking about um, teamwork because one of the things that bless you Thank you. <laughs> one of the things that I had written down was that I liked the fact that it wasn't just that the animals had a part in the story because I think we see that in a lot of creation myths but the animals were these willing participants in helping her rather than just tools. So one of those stories we read earlier this year um, was a uh, Yoruba story. Um, and we had a long discussion about what the heck the animals were for because it was very, very specific about having to have a black cat and a white chicken and mm -hmm. a golden chain a and a something. cup of something. Yeah, whatever he got drunk off of. And, uh, <coughs> and so, palm wine, that was it, yeah. <laughs> uh, and uh, so, so we had a long discussion about, you know, what are these animals here for? And, like, what purpose do they serve? And they serve kind of a, a probably utilitarian isn't, isn't the term I'm looking for, but they serve as basically tools, so the chicken scatters seeds and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. But here, it's more that they are, they're a part of the story as, as active um, characters who have agency and I really enjoyed that. Well, yeah. they also have their own life before she comes along. Right. That too, yeah. 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 And they decide to help her. They're like, wait, what is that? Oh, oh, like, someone's you know, falling. They, they, they do some math, you know, they're like, yeah. okay, she's falling at the rate of blah, 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 and she, okay, she's going to hit the water and that's not That's not going to be good. good. Okay. All right, geese, you're on it. Go catch yeah. her, right? Yeah. Beautiful feathered pillow. The, the they were are like, we can't do this for very much longer. Right. We gotta pass this off to somebody else. Right. So, it's like, so yeah, right. it's this chain of teamwork which I I just really liked. Yeah, they intentionally decide. <coughs> excuse me. Someone's gotta go catch her, and then they have they hold a council after that to figure out okay, what are we gonna do with this <laughs> with this woman? <laughs> like, what, are, what? How are we gonna help her out here? Um. So so they yeah they have agency. They have they had lives before she came along, mm -hmm. and. Uh, she happened to change the course of their life. Um, she had influence, and they influenced her. So there's a, a mutual cooperative influence that's had there. Mm -hmm. And I love the idea, too, that the first thing that Skywoman experiences when she's falling, the first thing she tangibly experiences is the softness of the, the, geese, the geese's wings. Mm -hmm. the, geese's, the, geese's, the geese wings. Geese. <laughs> <laughs> the geese wings. Uh, goose the flock swings. swings. The flock swings, right? Uh, that, that's when you just change first... an entire sentence because you can't figure out one word. Right. <laughs> well, English all English majors here, right? Right. 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 right? I do it all the time. Yeah. We can't find the right word. But she, that's her first uh, tangible experience in this world is, is the softness of the, the down the down feathers of the, of the geese. Probably the warmth, of too. Yeah. Go ahead. You know, she's falling from a different dimension. I met. I always imagined that would be cold. <laughs> falling through the sky. Yeah. 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 Because we've all been on airplanes before, yeah. mm -hmm. and that's like inside <laughs> where it should be warm, and, and it's still not. So, yeah. So warmth and welcoming. There you go. Yeah. yeah. Warmth and welcoming. yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah. So many thoughts. So many <laughs> thoughts going around. Yeah. Is there other stuff we wanted to talk about about teamwork? Making the dream work? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I thought about how with teamwork, it was kind of this unquestioning, uh, unquestioning understanding that they were going to help and this pure, genuine relationship with each other as animals and also with her, mm-hmm. and willing to trust, willing to take action. And you know, how many times do we go through our life thinking we, like, having to rethink decisions because we don't trust? Mm-hmm. And this changes that concept. So if, again, if this was the story that we heard as our creation story, then we don't really have an understanding of not trusting each other. And mm-hmm. that creates, a, I feel like, a much more cohesive yes. <laughs> environment. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, yeah, and so that, that's, it's, it's so pure, and I love it. And another part of me just thought, that's, that's something in our nature, but we're taught, to, we're taught to fear. We're taught to kind of take a step back and go, wait, there's this... Thing that is foul of the sky. I don't know what it is, but it's mm-hmm. rather, wow, someone's in danger. Mm-hmm. Let's help. It's a narrative of generosity. Yes. 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 Ooh, and we're going to talk about that a little bit more. <laughs> okay, good. I had a lot of feelings about that. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. it is a very reverent, um, reverent basis of communication mm-hmm. also, and mm-hmm. all, on all parties. Mm-hmm. So I really appreciated hearing that and that they wanted to help. It wasn't anything other than that, no questions. So yeah. that's, it's beautiful. Yeah. Um, so she's falling from the sky. He's catch her. Then Turtle steps up and is like, I got this. Um, but one little thing that I wanted to um, mention here was um, I like the parallel between um, this story and other stories from um, especially African oral traditions um, of Sky Home and Water Abyss mm-hmm. creation stories. <laughs> I love it um, because uh, in this one, again, we talked about like the darkness, dark to light kind of parallels here, but I like that this one um, sort of made it more explicit that there was a home for, for her in the sky rather than like, and I'm focusing on the Eurobone because um, that was the one we did earlier this year. But uh, rather than kind of like this abstract place of the gods or the, sorry, the Orisha, um, there's actually like, it's kind of made more explicit that there's something beyond, which mm-hmm. I thought was cool as a setup to this story. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, there's so, a whole reason, there's a whole other story <coughs> about why she fell through the hole. There is. I'm not familiar. I'm not so familiar with that story, so I can't tell it. But I know there there is there is more to this. There is a flashback episode. Flashback. That is a good um, good point of scholarly research for us because one of the things that we talk about all all the time on this podcast is we are all here to learn, and uh, the point of this is to get in touch with. you know, folklore and mythology and fairy tales and all of this stuff from other traditions that we don't hear about in school. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, Which there's a lot. There's a lot, <laughs> yeah. We, we've ha- we constantly have feelings about this. Um, so, so that's a good, good point of um, extra, extra research for us. Um, but 
yeah, and then the water as kind of this abyss, but it doesn't seem as much of a dangerous, like, yeah. meaningless abyss as the other one. Renee, would you like to chime in with your fear of water here? I would, because I'm <coughs> terrified of water, but that's probably only has to do with, like, I don't know, being baptized too early or something. Did <laughs> <laughs> you infant, infant trauma? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, like, other reasons. I don't know. Um... Swimming with me sometimes. Oh, God. <laughs> She's a swimming coach. She's not she, like of all the people that could. I know. Help you. You're probably really great. <laughs> I'll help you with your technique, and you'll you'll be fine. I'm okay as long as I can see the bottom. Um, well, okay. But going back to that point about the ocean being an abyss, what I really liked about this story was that it wasn't dangerous because it had it reasons or motives. I liked the portrayal of the natural world as just doing what the it does. World, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Like the oceans and the especially the line about the pressures and the the darkness mm-hmm. as being not even necessarily benign but just being mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and I thought that was and important neutral. I like that yeah neutral, neutral. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. yeah and there's life there's life already in the water yeah, <laughs> there's, yeah. All, there's all there's, there's all, all the creation yeah. down down in the water already mm-hmm. um, without land and so like we talked about before there's already stuff happening there mm-hmm. you know these these sacrifice and muskrat like we have to do it to get to the rest of this so the heroic muskrat so um i've named him yeah so the animals band together to try and help her because they have heard of mud um one by one they're unsuccessful and then muskrat finally finally succeeds and the weakest yeah, and I thought that was yeah. that was so nice that they pointed that it was pointed out because I think part of our hero narrative that we are used to sees that kind of um, that same thing where it's it's not you know the biggest strongest person who goes off and you know saves the world it's usually you know the little one who's called called to this adventure and and. Usually they make it out. <laughs> um, but, in some yeah. versions, muskrat survives. In this version, he doesn't. He doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> but this is a this story uh, is worth noting is uh, common to many of many tribes in the Great Lakes area, and so there are other versions of this. And muskrat lives in some of those versions. I think it does something different to the story depending mm-hmm. on how how you're reading it too. So that's. Mm-hmm. That's interesting, you know, to note the differences there. Um, you know, what do you what do you take away when um, when there's this this uh, element of self sacrifice, um, and what do you take away when there's the element of kind of uh, bravery and heroism, but not that element of self sacrifice. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, that's one of the things that when you're listening to it and kind of contributing to the meaning making. 
difference. Um, but yeah, what did what did Alden want to talk about for the heroic muskrat? Well, I I know Mel has a lot of feelings about it and can probably talk um, speak about heroism and that aspect <coughs> really well. So I just want to jump in and say that I love underdog stories, I guess. And I was really rooting for the muskrat to make it, to have some sort of, I don't know, un, unknown or unseen talent or power that mm-hmm. allowed him to be successful here, which he was. With, and so I guess um, that thing that he had that no one else knew about may, might be persistence or courage mm-hmm. or something. I don't know. And they're also really cute. <laughs> I love that um, as the animals looked on, they were they were they were concerned about their relative. Yeah, they waited and waited for him to return, fearing the worst for their relative. I loved how they referred to him as the muskrat as the relative, going back to relations and how it's much of a deeper bond um, between all these beings. Um, regardless of you know their their animal type or whatnot, but um, I think what really got me was when you know he thought you know, he 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 sacrificed himself and they thought it was all for naught, but in his little paw, a little bit of mud, <laughs> and the sky woman just so grateful takes the mud and spreads it, spreads it on the turtle's back, and it becomes bigger. She dances. Yeah, yeah, dances it with that. Uh, yes, beautiful. yes, yeah. dances it. She and dances for Thanksgiving. Yes, um, and that's how it spreads mm-hmm. and gets bigger because it all starts with this tiny seed of, you know, of genuine care mm-hmm. from someone without any thought went to go to get this mud, mm-hmm. um, knowing that, probably know, knowing that he would die in the process. But still, and allowed his death to bring him back to the surface, mm-hmm. and you know, and I right when that happened, I go, oh no, he passed. He passed because yeah. when when you when you drown, you, your body floats, and so. Um, but I was really so happy when, and his little paw was this, was this little little slip of mud, and I'm like, oh my god, muskrat! <laughs> <laughs> I've never felt so much. So much for a muskrat <laughs> in such a short span of time, too. I, I know, and usually animal stories, I, I feel like have a lot of sadness in it. But it's a muskrat, and now I'm now I'm very grateful to muskrats. <laughs> yeah. Now you want to pet muskrat? Be serious, don't you? There, I mean, they listen. They look cute. It's a very humble beginning. Yes, yeah. sure. And yes, thank you for reminding me about the dancing because it's in the. In that action, mm-hmm. and she sings too. She dances yes. and sings for Thanksgiving, and it's its own story—the mm-hmm. dancing and the singing of maybe the story of the muskrat in, in, in that Thanksgiving mm-hmm. is the story of the muskrat honoring, yes, him. giving mm-hmm. and giving um, giving its life, and that's probably how, from in my mind, is how that's the reason why it was able to spread so easily. That's yeah. kind of how I see it, and and I think about the idea that. The physical, you know, uh, terrestrial Earth here, being created by dance, oh, yes. and through an act of thanksgiving and gratitude. Mm-hmm. Wow, that was that a narrative reinforcement of the importance of dance. So I was like, yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that she danced and sung her thanksgiving, and that's how our world, our physical world, came to be. Um, it just makes you see the 
the the hills and the mountains and the valley. You know, everything around us. It makes you see it very differently. Mm -hmm. Different meaning to the phrase, man. She really put her foot in that one. Yeah. <laughs> no, literally, she did. Um, yeah. Um, so <clears throat> we have the creation, um, creation of things, and um, one of the things that we talked about was this narrative of generosity that we see um, popping up in these stories. And what I had for this was actually a parallel um, to uh, various uh, African oral traditions, uh, which is the idea of hospitality, mm -hmm. but it was, actually it's not really a parallel, it's kind of a similar framework, but um, one of the things that I really like about those is that there's sort of this emphasis on what you are supposed to do to be welcoming to strangers or to be welcoming to someone who puts, who comes into your home, but here we have an emphasis on, on um, kind of what your responsibility is as a guest, and so it says... And like any good guest, she didn't come empty-handed. And I was like, oh, that's so great. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, so there's, again, this um, sort of sort of idea of um, how to be generous and how to be hospitable in, for your given situation. But I like that it was from the opposite direction of this mm -hmm. one. So. Mm -hmm. Reciprocity is, <coughs> me. is a really uh, common theme in indigenous stories, I have found. Mm -hmm. Especially in in the Great Lakes regions, a lot of the Anishinaabe stories, um, which are also from the Great Lakes, really emphasize gift giving and reciprocity and relationship. Um, you know, if you if and and the biggest gifts you can give, and I'm I'm thinking of uh, my friend Nagan Sinclair here, but he says the biggest gift you can give is your time. Mm -hmm. That's true. That's very true. Time is valuable. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. You give gifts um, as a way of acknowledging the other the other party's being and their generosity and their presence and what they have. You, you never you never just take it's never a one sided <laughs> relationship mm -hmm. right. that does not make for good neighbors. <laughs> if you're just take one person is just taking. Speaking of gifts, I think everybody had gifts on their on their list of things they wanted to talk about. So, take it away. Whoever wants it. Oh yeah. Well, I guess I I thought about how how in giving you're not giving to receive. Also, like you know, mm -hmm. even though there is that reciprocity, you're not aiming to get anything. Yeah, not doing it with the expectation, right? Yeah. And the gift can be intangible or tangible instance uh, she has this bundle from the tree of life from what mm -hmm. I understood and that was something that she gave uh, as something tangible but the intangible was like kind of like we said your time her her time mm -hmm. and and the time that she spent creating this world and then the time that she's now probably spending just being on this world and mm -hmm. so that you know is a huge gift and and then because gift this gift giving is not aimed to receive anything in return it almost invites that reciprocity mm -hmm. without Absolutely. even thinking about it because it's it goes back to this genuine uh, this genuine understanding that we're here to be with each other 
to share space, to, sh to mm -hmm. share time, and to share responsibility yes. um, for, for where we live, <laughs> the place that we live in, uh, which I think is from our Western cultures we have pretty much forgotten. Mm. <laughs> um, other stuff on gifts? Then I think uh, the last thing that we wanted to talk about before we just get into our feelings um, <laughs> is this idea of environmental justice, Renee, that was yours. Um, yeah, um, I'm taking a class called Environmental Justice right now, and we're basically talking about how, how intersectional social justice and environmental studies is, mm -hmm. um, and how typically... Um, indigenous or native populations or p marginalized groups are m vastly affected um, more than developed worlds are. And so if we had this story as our creation story in the Western world, would we even need this term environmental justice? Would there be justice to be had mm -hmm. if we were given narratives of generosity rather than narratives of pain and punishment and a loss of this sense of Eden. Yeah. Um, but also, why are why is culture so adamant against rebuilding this idea of an Eden? Yeah. That is a great question. It's yeah. It, it is. It is true. There's. Um, you must be taking the class of Dr. Burke. No. Oh. Um, uh, Deb Marquardt. Oh. Well, that's cool. Yeah. Um. In the 80s, was the 80s, during Reagan's administration, he declared Indian country um, a national sacrifice zone uh, for, for um, uranium mining and other economic uh, and extraction interests. And, and that, that is the way that it, it goes. Uh, more already marginalized communities are disproportionately Nuclear waste siting, yeah. oil drilling, uh, oil drilling, yeah, drilling say, resource, resource extraction. I just mm -hmm. gave a talk um, earlier this week about uh, the Dakota Access Pipeline in Tamiwak, and mm -hmm. and one of my points was why is it why is it Indigenous people are always on the front lines of these fights? Mm -hmm. We all share this same <laughs> water supply. Yes, exactly. Why is it that Indigenous people are the ones? Who are always on the front lines of these fights? The grandmas, you know, it's grandmas and mm -hmm. and and mothers and um, you know people with prayers and songs that are getting arrested for these environmental justice um, protection. You know, they call them protests, but call them protections. Yeah. You know, why why is it that it's the indigenous people who are on the forefront of of these movements? And the reason why is because they have a body of stories. Mm -hmm that inherently, um, you, if you're operating out of those stories, you just understand we have a responsibility for this. Mm -hmm. um, our, it has everything to do, again, with cosmology and, and our creation story. The Western world operates so much on the Christian narrative of, of Genesis, right, which is a, a narrative, in my opinion, of domination and, um, as you said, kind of fear and punishment. Um, so God you know, puts Adam and Eve in this garden, um, 
tells Adam, hey, you can name all the animals. That act in and of itself is really important. Right? But he has, he has dominion over, over the animals and the natural world. So yeah, you give them names, right? And naming something is quite a powerful act. Right? So that, that sets up a power dynamic or a power imbalance, I would say, <laughs> yeah. from the start. And then God further says in Genesis, um, you, know, you have dominion over, over the natural world. You, and the natural world basically, and the animals are here for And and there are some um, religious folk and scholars who would argue that there's also stewardship worked into Genesis, like we're supposed to be good stewards of the earth too, mm-hmm. but um, that somehow gets left out in a lot of people's minds. <laughs> yeah, we skip over that yeah, quite a lot. we skip over that part. But think about it, if that's your fundamental narrative about the earth, that um, and also that the earth is a, is a, is a temporary place. Yeah, you know yeah, that, yeah. that the goal, right? The the end goal is is this afterlife. Um, that's where the good stuff is, mm-hmm. right? Um, that's that's where we're headed. And this life, everything that's here, is temporary. And um, eventually, the apocalypse is going to happen, or um, you know, revelations is going to happen, and everything is going to come crashing to an end, right? So, with that narrative, that entire narrative, Genesis to Revelation, where is their incentive to care for and sustain this place in which we live? It's temporary. But there, there are not those, I don't find those narratives in indigenous cultures. Um, there are narratives of destruction. Yes. In the Navajo creation stories, I think. They're on their fourth world because the creator got, <laughs> got so mad at how they were behaving. I think this is our, their last chance that they screw this one up then. This is not the way you <laughs> treat maple it. trees. You don't get these anymore. Oh, but, but, but it, the last shot. Oh, gosh. <laughs> there's a fundamental understanding that uh, from, from an indigenous perspective that we are here and we share this space and our grandchildren and our grandchildren's grandchildren Everybody, all the generations, are going to need to rely on this same these same resources. So we have to take mm-hmm. care of it. Um, seven generations is yeah. something that's talked about often in indigenous cultures, um, and that can look a lot of different ways. Looking forward, seven generations, um, uh, looking either back three generations, forward three, and then the current generation uh, is is in the middle. So decision, big decisions are made based on looking back three generations, the wisdom from the past three generations, looking forward, what's going to happen to the next three generations, what's happening right now. So that's another seven-generation seven model. But in, in either case, it recognizes that, that our time here uh, as individuals is, is part of a, a, a link in a larger chain, mm-hmm. and what we do is going to So there's incentive to, <laughs> to care to act for right. to yeah. act yes to, to act right because you can't exactly you know start over yeah yeah I was that was sort of also in my notes around environmental justice mm-hmm. um, and I like that from indigenous perspectives it's about the a tangible future rather than a future in an afterlife mm-hmm. or in a, in a divine heaven yeah um, because that 
like you said, forces you to think about your impact now. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had something else that I was going to say that was like really key, but I can't remember what it was. And, and indigenous people, you know, they have they have ideas of the afterlife too. Right. Cross yeah. everywhere mm-hmm. you go, but but it doesn't it doesn't, it doesn't them it doesn't negate their responsibilities mm-hmm. to this place and this and you know this life. While it, to, to the present mm-hmm. and to and their responsibility to the future. I think there's also divine in looking at the world from uh, from these stories, and everything kind of breathes that mm-hmm. from breathe not breathe but breathe. <laughs> I'm stumbling over my words but I you know looking at this perspective of focusing not just the now but the past and the future in a way to how do we make this better mm-hmm. um, it becomes a way of life and Absolutely. there's so much more than well thinking of certain petty things of or, or the individual. Right, exactly, yeah. yeah. It, it becomes more of, well, how can, going back to working together, and so that we can uh, kind of perpetuate this way of life. Mm-hmm. And it's, it does not involve religion, doesn't involve any other kind of boxed-in communities, almost. It's, it's essentially... Uh, it's essentially pervades into all aspects so it becomes life mm-hmm. and I see that in the stories even though um, I myself haven't really experienced that type of uh, type of environment it's still something I truly admire and I try to adhere to mm-hmm. uh, with my own understanding with my own stories my own culture and and bringing it into the forefront and in a way, we're all connected. We're coming all from different places, but we all have this understanding of a way of life to keep us to keep us going in a world that we can not only live in but thrive in. Yeah, that's really relevant to <laughs> to where we're at right now. Mm-hmm. And in indigenous stories and cultures, community um, has always been uh, more important than the individual. Mm-hmm. An individual is only as healthy as the community is. You know, uh, that comes from uh, Dr. Don Warren, who's a, a native healer um, down in the Southwest. But he says, you know, it's not about the individual. A person is only as healthy as their community is, and so uh, that that communal way of life for Indigenous people has suffered greatly. Mm-hmm with colonization um, and boarding schools and loss of language and loss of um, you know, the, the attempted erasure of culture. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's, it, it didn't happen, but um, obviously Native people are still here and still mm-hmm. very resilient and thriving despite, despite the best efforts of some. Of, of, of erasing, yeah, erasing yeah. Their, their culture. But um, communal value of, of community and um, of supporting each other was was how most tribes functioned when colonization happened. <laughs> um, that communal way of life was 
intentionally, systematically dismantled. And replace, not replace, try, they tried to replace it with, the government tried to replace it with um, individual, uh, they called it, they wanted the Indians to be intelligently selfish. Jeez. <laughs> I think it's important to talk about uh, this idea of process in terms of process of creating something, but also the process of attempting to erase something, that it includes a lot of moving parts, and that it's not just one thing that happens, but it's something that continues to happen, mm -hmm. um, and that you have to, or people have to continue to see, like, that second generation's model, like, the past, what has happened up, leading up to now, and then what is in the future if this current process continues. Mm -hmm. Right. Wow, it's deep. Talk about feelings now. I was about to say, <laughs> all right. All right, we, we're at an hour, and that's fine. We can, because I already said, I already warned the listeners that this was going to be longer. But don't don't express your feelings for like 30 minutes. <laughs> but, all right, um, mine are easy, so I'll start, because uh, I'm a Slytherin, and we don't have feelings. So, no, I really loved this. I really love this story, so thank you for coming and sharing it with us. Oh. But... Um, share. <laughs> this was um, one of those stories that I feel like <clears throat> it's like one of those um, ones that you can go back to over and over and okay. over again and it like won't ever get old just because it's like so um, it seems kind of dark but it's actually just so uplifting and it's so good um, so I had those feelings um, mm -hmm. of just I just really liked it but other feelings? Yeah. I felt refreshed after reading this story to just really, I guess, I don't know. I, like, felt the significance <laughs> of why these stories should be told orally and why they should be passed down as a type of knowledge that future generations need. Mm -hmm. My feelings were of complete love and love for stories, love for, um, love for uh, indigenous cultures and, and wherever, and, um, all over the world. I, I really appreciate how it is all tied to the earth. And that kind of hit a core with me because that's essentially how I've always looked at the world and to see different versions of whatever creation stories are out there, but this this complete um, this complete understanding of this unconditional love that happens with these stories. So I'm, I'm definitely an emotional person. <laughs> so it took me a long time to read this just because each part of the story was so impactful. And um, I another point that really got me in the story was, and so it began. And then kind of, you know, going off of what we were talking about recently of how it's, this is such, this is such a powerful statement in order to continue forward because it began. And it's absolutely beautiful. And hearing you read it was absolutely beautiful. And doing this podcast and being able to tell a story like this in our own little oral 
tradition that we've been <laughs> creating, um, it's absolutely magical. And that's essentially what I was feeling this whole time, just this magic of, no, we're not, you know, we're not doing what we've done in the past with, you know, we're, we're not, we can't anymore. Um, but we're, we're doing something that's honoring, that's creating, we're back into that creation. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's empowering. And those are a lot of my feelings. <laughs> and just, I like that. I like the idea of what we're doing here as an act of creation yes. to defy the destruction. Of oh my heart! <laughs> Don't cry. I'm not crying. Okay. She cried during the Book of Lost Things episode. I didn't she cry. Didn't cry. You teared up. I teared and up. You can, and you can hear it in your voice. <laughs> At a time when uh, we can cry, it's we can totally, all cry. It's a it's safe totally space. Good to cry. It's a safe space. I think I cried when I, when I first read this story too. <laughs> At a time right now, especially currently, <clears throat> there is so much destruction happening mm -hmm. on so many levels. Oh my <laughs> God! You just you can't even. You can't even. But, yeah. um, but also the 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 historical and contemporary destruction and erasure of native cultures and native stories to be telling this story and to be talking about it. Um, I love the idea that this is an act of creation too, and perpetuating this story in the minds and the hearts of other people is an act of love. It's an act of creation. It's it's creating more life. Oh. That's gorgeous. We're not talking about anything else. No, we're ending on that. We just created life, you guys. <laughs> Actually, we are going to talk about one more thing because I no, I want to give um, our listeners some resources. Um, so just so you guys know, bless you. Um, <clears throat> the, some of the books we used for, um, well, some of the books that Jen used for research because she very kindly um, sent sent us uh, the stuff we needed for this. Uh, the first one that we got the story from was uh, Braiding Sweetgrass by Robin Wall Kimmerer. Mm -hmm. uh, and then there's another one that you have uh, called The Truth About Stories, A Native Narrative by Thomas King. Mm -hmm. um, and just uh, so you guys know, again, this episode is really celebrating um, Indigenous People, Native American Heritage Month. So we want to give you um, some people to go support um, some different content creators online. Uh, so 1491 is a comedy troupe that you should check out. Uh, follow Dr. Adrian Keen on Twitter, please. Um, Native Approps is her uh, Twitter handle, and <clears throat> that's N-A-T-I-V-E-A-P-P-R-O-P-S. Uh, and she is fantastic. Basically, any question you could ever have, she's already answered it, so just go learn, please. Um, OxDX Clothing, you can follow them, and also Hopi Girl Silver on Instagram. Uh, they are um, clothing and jewelry designers, um, and so they're really great. And also, uh, if you're into music, definitely check out A Tribe Called Red. Or Tribe Called Red. Um, and so that is it. Can I put in a plug-in for um, uh, Yes, absolutely. Yes, yeah. of mine. All, all the ones you want. Go ahead. Stephen Paul Judd. He's uh, Kyle in Choctaw. He actually came to Iowa State uh, earlier this year to give a talk in an art workshop. But he's an amazing um, native pop artist. Like, 
working in the, the genre of, of pop art, and he does amazing work. He just did a, a, a portrait um, of, I don't know who it was, but a guy in a headdress out of Rubik's Cubes. Yes! Did you see that? No, I didn't, but I want to. That sounds awesome. <laughs> he's always doing just these, the most amazing projects. Like, he writes books, he paints, he does, like, multimedia stuff. He's, he, he directs. He, he just does, like, check him out on YouTube. He's got a couple of things on Vimeo. Just, he's also got a website. He, he does, like, clothing design, too. Mm -hmm. He's got amazing shirts and... And oh, yeah. stickers and oh, it's just stickers. awesome. So Stephen Paul Judd, J U D D. One person that we forgot to mention is uh, Elizabeth Lapinse. She's a game developer. She's also just a really great scholar. But uh, you should definitely go play the games she has, um, and you know, tweet your support for her. She's been going through it this year um, with a lot of uh, ignorance floating her way. We will uh, call it that for uh, uh, the sake of keeping this podcast clean. Uh, but. Uh, yeah, definitely check out her stuff. Go play her games. They're fantastic. Um, and they're and, free. And they're free. Game. There you go. So, um, other anything else that we want to throw in? She yeah. collaborated with Stephen Paul Judd on a, a free game that you yeah. can download called The Invaders. Ooh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like, uh, it's, a, it's a play off of that old video game. It's, it's called Space Invaders. Space Invaders, yeah. Yeah, yeah. except it's uh, Native people shooting Invaders. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. And my students play that in class one year. They love it. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you guys for joining us again. Thank you, Jen, for being here. It was really great to have you. Thank you so much for having me. And we will see you all next month for our holiday episode.